Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I introduced Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, where it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And in the previous program, I was explaining that the way that most people seem to view this is to say that the law will teach you kind of how to behave. If you want to know what to do and what not to do, then you study the law. It's the first thing you should get into in order to learn how to live the Christian life, learn how to be a better person, and then after you get it right, after we get you properly informed after we give you the proper instruction and after we apply a little bit of shame into your life, you know, things like that, condemn you a little bit, then eventually you will learn how you are supposed to behave and you will then behave as you are supposed to behave. And once you do that, then you can begin to live by faith, which means what? It means that you continue to live as you were taught how to live And in addition to that, in addition to that, there is going to be something between you and the Lord Jesus, and so that he will have some interactive experience with you maybe in some way. He'll allow you to do some things for him, stuff like that. So what people end up doing is they end up blending two different ways of life together. They take the Old Testament, the life that was defined by the law, living according to what is right and wrong, good and evil, and then somehow you blend that together with a belief in the Lord Jesus. And this can take different forms. This can look differently depending upon who it is that you spend your time with or who you subject yourself to. It depends on who you spend your time with, what you do, things like that, that will define what your life is going to look like in addition to your obedience to the commandments. And so people tend to blend the two, But I believe that when they blend the two, they can at best create a watered-down version of the law. To me, that's what people usually end up with, is they end up with some kind of watered-down version of the law. They have a law that they can find a way to obey. They have a way of life that they can find a way to live. And they will then live this life believing that this is what their Christian life is supposed to be about. But, of course, what happens is, is that when a person lives that way, When a person lives according to the commandments, when they live according to the law, eventually they're going to recognize that they are not as obedient as perhaps they ought to be. And because of that, God does not accept them. He does not love them. He does not cause his face to shine upon them, things like that. And because of that, they will live their life being rejected by God. And as a result, they will end up having to turn to the world. They will end up having to turn to sin in order to get some kind of a break or a temporary reprieve or something in order to relieve all the religious pressure that they are going to be living under because they will never, ever be at peace with God. Now, one of the reasons why people live this way, of course, is because they do not know what it means 
to live under a tutor or a schoolmaster. They don't really understand what this word means and why Paul would use it. If you had some reasonable understanding concerning teachers and tutors and what have you, then I believe it would be easy for you to identify what he's talking about, that it has nothing to do with learning how to live and then you continue to live your life that way. You know, that's what the disciples were doing, the apostles were doing in Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus spent years talking with his disciples, John, Peter, Philip. He explained to them how they should live. He was effectively a tutor. He was their teacher. He was their rabbi. He was very effective at that. And he taught them the law. He taught them the commandments. And afterwards... What did they do? They no longer had the teacher, they no longer had the rabbi, but they continued to live according to his teachings. And what did that result in? That resulted in this conflict between Paul and the apostles in Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem. When he went there, he spoke with them and he explained to them the gospel that he teaches among the Gentiles. He explained the work of God that God was doing within and through them. And he explained that the way that they live is totally different from the way that the people there in Jerusalem were living. Not living a life of indulgence of the flesh, but not living a life of trying to restrain the flesh either. It was a completely different way of life based on faith and trust. So from the apostles' point of view, that's what they would say. Yes, of course, we were under the teacher, we were under the tutor, we were under the rabbi of rabbis, and now we live that way, but no. He taught that so that you could live another way. And that other way is not a life of pursuing sin. It is a life of trust and reliance and belief and living in peace because of what he did on your behalf. A completely different way of life. So unless you see that the work that the Lord Jesus did, unless you see that his work and his ministry was conducted for the purpose of leading a person to the cross and then taking them away from the cross, resurrecting them from the dead into a newness of life. If you can't see that, then there's no way that you're going to be able to live according to the new covenant that he established. But one of the ways that a person might be able to begin to understand the implications of what Jesus did is to think about a teacher, to think about a tutor. Now, I've spent many years being an educator. I spent many years teaching advanced mathematics and computer science. I know what it is to teach. I have been a teacher in other capacities, many other capacities, teaching other subjects. I know what it means to be a teacher and a tutor. And this is the one fundamental philosophy of being a teacher. This is the one basic thing to understand about being a teacher. And if you understand this, then you can also understand what it means to be a student, what it means to be under a tutor or a teacher or a schoolmaster. Someone is going to teach you. You will understand that. The fundamental philosophy of being a teacher is to teach the material that you are required to present so that a person will have the opportunity to understand what it is you are presenting. Of course, that's very important. But the other part of that philosophy is that there will be a point when you will no longer be teaching these things to the student. The fundamental principle of being a teacher or a tutor is to teach the student, to teach the person you are teaching in such a way that they will be set free from you at a certain point. 
When you find a teacher, it is expected that this person will not be your teacher forever. Now, of course, when it comes to the Lord Jesus, there's no end to what he will teach, and so there's no end to the relationship that we can have with him as our teacher. But when it comes to basic mathematics, when it comes to learning how to write, when it comes to learning how to do grammar, when it comes to geology, when it comes to oceanography, when it comes to history, when it comes to economics, when it comes to all these things that people study, there comes a point when they have learned the things that they were supposed to learn, and when that point arrives, they are no longer under that teacher. If you understand this philosophy, then I believe you can appreciate even more what Paul is expressing here in chapter 3, that the law was given as a teacher to teach you, to teach you a number of things, to lead you to Christ, and that would be the end. That would be the end of being under that teacher. That would be the end of the purpose of the law. It would no longer have a purpose after that. The law was given as a schoolmaster, as a teacher. It is the law that is the teacher. When it comes to the subjects that I just described, it is the person that is the teacher. But in this case, it is the law that is the teacher. Just as you would leave your teacher, and you would then find ways of applying what you learned, so also you are to leave the law and apply the things that you have learned from the law. Again, just as you would leave a teacher and apply the things that you learned from the teacher, so also you are to leave the law and apply the things that you were to learn from the law. Now, were you to learn how to live, how to be obedient to God, how to do what was right, how to do what was wrong? Well, let me ask you, are you doing that which is right? Are you not doing that which is wrong? Are you living according to the law? Are you successful? Let me ask the same question in a different way. Are you sinning? If you are sinning, then you are certainly not doing what the law taught you. You certainly are not living according to what the law instructed you in. If you still have any sin in your life whatsoever, then the law has failed to teach you the things that you needed to know in order to live. What that should show you, of course, is is one of two things. Either, number one, you are to be under the law permanently, you are to be under the eternal guidance and oppression of the law, you are to be a prisoner of the law, in an eternal sense, because you'll never get it right, or it was given to teach you something else besides how to stop sinning. And I believe that that is where the answer is found, to discover what the law was given for, what you were supposed to learn from this teacher. And of course, what you were supposed to learn was that you have a need for the grace and mercy of God because you will never succeed in living in obedience to the law. You were to learn the foreshadowings of the Messiah that were prophetically described within the law. You were to learn the shadows that have now been revealed concerning the new covenant and how we now live in Christ Jesus. For example, the Sabbath law was given so that we could understand what it means to rest from our works, to include the work of resting on the Sabbath day, 
to rest from our works as Christ did from his, and that we are not to fall according to the same example of disobedience. This is Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is a very important subject to understand, and that is, what was the law given for? What was it given for? What were you supposed to learn? And did you learn those things? Now, once you learn those things, then you are to live your life with the knowledge of those things and apply those things in your life. Let me give you a simple, practical example. Why do people go to college? I mean, what are they really doing there? You know, this is a very very common question to ask, especially amongst professors. When I was a professor, this was a common discussion that I would have with other professors in our offices, where we would ask ourselves, what is this person doing here? I mean, why is this person enrolled in our program? Why are they here? What are they intending to accomplish? What's what's going on in the world that we have all these people coming here who don't really have an interest in learning the things that we are teaching? This is a common discussion that I would have. And the answer, of course, is very simple. For many people, they went to college because they didn't want to work. And college is a reasonable alternative to work for many people. They'll just go to school. They decide to go to school and learn whatever it is that they might learn. But they don't really go to school to learn. They go to school in order to have something else to do. In the meantime, between the time that they graduate from high school and perhaps they get married or maybe they find a job that they might like to do, in the meantime, you just go to college and learn whatever. It doesn't really matter what you learn or how well you learn it. There are very few people who actually go to college or any school for that matter for the purpose of learning the material so that they can apply that material. That's that's very unusual. I have found that to be very unusual. Now, of course, this may not apply to you, but I know many people who this does apply to. They go to college in order to learn these things, but they don't go for the purpose of learning the material so that they can apply that material in their lives in the sense that they can go to work. I can't tell you how many times I have mentioned to my students, I assume that you folks are here to learn things so that you can get a job, so that you can do work. Is there anybody here who has an interest in that? And it was amazing to see the reactions that I would get from my students, that they apparently never thought about that, that they were actually becoming professionals in something and that they might actually apply things. It was not unusual for people to ask me, why are you requiring me to learn this when I don't think I'm ever going to use this? And of course, the simple answer is, that which you don't know, you will definitely never use. These are the kinds of attitudes that people have. And so when we look at the law as a schoolmaster or as a teacher, the teacher teaches many things, but you are to take those things and apply them. The law taught you a number of things, but will you apply the things that you learned? Or do you expect to just continually be in school, to just continually be taught by the law, to continually live under this teacher, under this tutor? When will you ever grow up? When will you ever be an individual who lives, being responsible for themselves? When Will that ever occur? It's a very important question. You must learn the lessons of the law and then apply them in your life. If you do not apply them in your life, then one of the ways of recognizing that you do not is because you're still under it. That's what I see in Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, where it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You are no longer under this tutor. You are no longer under this law. The law was given to teach you that you would have a need to have faith because the law would not meet your needs. It would teach you that you need to learn how to trust God because you certainly cannot trust in the law or in yourself. These are some of the lessons that a person should have learned from the law. If they don't learn this, then they have to be under the law continually until they die. If you do learn this, then you can say that you are no longer under a tutor. You are no longer under a schoolmaster. I have been here. I have done this. I know what it means to live a life being taught by the law, being under the discipleship of the law. I know what that is. I know what that's about very well. I've lived that way enough in order to say with conviction that there is nothing there but the lessons that we are to learn. We must learn those lessons and then leave behind the law. I do not live under the law. I don't. I never will ever again. I did. I'm very thankful for that. I acknowledge and recognize that there was no faith required there, that there was no trust required there. I understand that very well. I understand it well enough that if anybody wants to confront me over this, there is no possible way that they're going to convince me that there's anything there at all. I've done it enough, I've been there enough, and I can tell you with deep conviction that there are many important lessons to learn from the law, but once those lessons are learned, they are to be applied. They are to be used. You are to live your life applying and utilizing the things that you learned. You know, the struggle that a believer truly has is this struggle between living a life of faith and trust or living a life under the law. There have been many occasions, and I expect there will be occasions in the future, when I make decisions because those decisions are the right decisions, even though in my heart I do not want to do what's right. There have been occasions when I've done the right thing just because it was the right thing, not because I wanted to, but because it was the right thing to do. And I expect in the future, I will make decisions like that. I will not sin because it's not the right thing to do, even though in my heart I might want to sin. What do I need to experience? I need to experience a change of heart. That's what I need to experience. And in the meantime, I struggle with this life between the law and the spirit, between the law and the life under the new covenant, between the flesh and the spirit. I struggle with this. Quite often, and I know many people who struggle with this, quite often it's an important struggle to have, and I believe that it's a struggle that I will have until the day that I am dead. But what is this struggle now as opposed to what it once was? It used to be, this is the right thing to do, whether I want to do it or not, this is what I do. That was the struggle. It was making sure that I always do those things that I don't want to do. But now the struggle is different. Now the struggle is having patience. The struggle is trusting that my God will do a work in my heart in some way, perhaps one day, that he will do a work in my heart so that he will change my heart in such a way that I will not 
want to sin or that I will want to do that which is right. It's a life to be lived, and maybe he won't do a work in my heart concerning that specific thing. He might be doing something else. This is a life of faith. This is a life of trust. To trust your God, to complete the work that he began is a big thing. It's a very serious matter. Faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor, under the law. Now that faith has come, we live by faith. I live by trusting. Instead of living by trying to do that which is good and not do that which is evil, I live a life of thankfulness. I live a life of appreciation for what my God has done, and I live a life of anticipation with what he may do in the future. But there's no way to be thankful for what he has done when you are still busy with what you are doing. And there's no way to live a life of anticipation when you are living in such a way that you know that he will never intervene because he will always be disgusted with you because of your lack of obedience. It's never going to happen. You are never going to experience the peace of God until you enter in to the new covenant by faith. Now, continuing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's how you become a son of God. You become a son or daughter, a child of the living God by faith, not by law. The law does not give anyone an opportunity to be a son of God, a child of God. You understand, there was no one ever in the history of Israel who was recognized as a child of God because of their involvement, application, study, or devotion to the law. No one was ever recognized as a child of God because of that. If you want to be a child of God, it has to be accomplished in a completely different way. The way is by faith. The way is through faith in Christ. It is by trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, trusting and believing in what he has accomplished. There is no other way. There simply is no other way. In verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean, For as many of you who were dunked in water in the name of Christ, you have put on Christ? Of course not. There were lots of people who were baptized who did not really embrace Christ for who he is. There were lots of people. And today, if you're not aware of this, you need to get out a little bit more often. There are many people all around you who have been baptized into Christ and they don't embrace him in any way whatsoever. They have no faith in him at all. If you don't believe me, you've got to get out there into the world a little bit more often and talk with people a little bit more often. You'll find out that just because you're dunked in water doesn't mean that you are then all of the sudden in Christ or that you have put on Christ. You haven't put on Christ. You put on a towel. That's what you put on in order to dry off. Now, baptism is, of course, a very important subject. I did a very complete series on the subject of baptism. You've got to listen to that series. If you haven't heard the series of programs that I have done on baptism yet, you've got to listen to those. There's no way around it. It's a very important subject. 
It starts with the Maccabean Wars and the embassies that were set up throughout the world as a result and the synagogues that evolved after that and the necessity to convert Gentiles to Judaism. It has a very important history to it. When John the Baptist came on the scene baptizing people, that was not new to anybody. What was new, what was different, was that he was baptizing Jews. That was what was different. And I would like to encourage you to listen to the series to find out what I mean by that. He's not talking about being baptized in water. He's talking about being baptized in Christ, being baptized into Christ through the Holy Spirit. It is the restoration of the Holy Spirit, the putting on of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That word baptized means identified with. It means that you have been resurrected from the dead and through that, you are now a child of God. There is no other way to be a child of God. You have to be resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord our God said that, yes, John came baptizing with water, but Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And if you will be baptized with that baptism, then by default you have put on Christ. You have put him on because you have been identified with him, and this is an identification that will never be undone. You are a child of God as a result of that. But in order to get to that point of really embracing the Lord Jesus for who he is, you need to have some understanding of the knowledge of good and evil. You need to have some reasonable understanding of the requirements that are given by the law so that you can see your need for forgiveness, your need for the restoration of life because you are spiritually dead, your need to see the reality that the knowledge of good and evil is not how we are to live. You must see that. Otherwise, you cannot embrace the gospel for what it is. You cannot be a child of God, and you cannot be identified with Christ, baptized in Christ or through Christ, and you certainly can't put him on in that abstract context. So in verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But there would be no way to understand that if you are still under the law, because the law defines a Jew and a Greek. The law defines who is an Israelite and who is a Gentile. That's where that definition comes from. If you are still under the law, you are still a Jew. That is what it says in verse 28. I am out of time for this program, so I will continue with verse 28 in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net